Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic consultant with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster and co-founder of the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we're going to reveal the hidden secrets of the public mind, looking at the biggest polling stories driving news, politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. And today we're back. We're back on the horn doing our regular uh, news polling news roundup. I am once again... (laughs) in my closet, which is a little bit better than the last time I was in a closet because I was a hotel closet and I was eight months pregnant. I could barely fit into the closet. Now I'm in my own home closet, which is thankfully a little bit bigger. And I'm no longer pregnant, which is also pretty incredible. Um, So I fit in here a little bit better. (laughs) And while Kristen is remotely, and so while I had a baby, Kristen, what have you been up to the last two weeks? I had a book, which is not the same. <laughs> They're, both big, They're both big deals. They're both big Yeah. So the book, uh, The Selfie Vote, came out last Tuesday. Um, so if you, as subscribers to the podcast, you may have heard Margie's interview with me about the book. Um, so yeah, it's it's out there in the universe. Got reviewed by the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. And I got to go on Morning Joe for the first time. That's so cool. Those Hashtag this town bingo card squares. <laughs> uh, checked off the list, so it has been quite a ride. That is fantastic. Well, you had a fantastic selfie with the selfie vote. That was a, a you know it looked a little bit more fresh as a daisy than my selfie post baby. <laughs> but, but but your picture is great. It was the book and the baby. Yes, I did do a book <laughs> like, with the baby. This is what we've been busy with the last two weeks. Yes, sorry, podcast listeners. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. The baby was like, "That's fine. I don't care. You can take a picture of me next to whatever." The three year olds was a little bit more like. I need to hold this fluorescent pencil. No, I need to hold that one. <laughs> okay, now you can take a picture. <laughs> She's a little a, bit more of a diva. <laughs> as a fellow first child who has recollections, though they are foggy and surely warped by the sands of time, of suddenly no longer being the only one in the household, letting her have that fluorescent pen or whatever it is she wants. Yes. It's important right now. It's a very sensitive time. It's true. I tried to explain to her. I'm like, mommy doesn't have any brother and sisters. You're going to have to tell me what it was like. And, you know, she just didn't really understand anything that I was saying. So, but she's so far, she's doing a really good job. Um, Okay. So that's what we've been up to. And what are the top lines for all the news that is fit to Trump this week? So it has been an interesting few weeks, America. And the first top line 
Donald Trump. Are we really serious, America? Uh, we will also take a look at some polling um, about American attitudes on science. Very appropriate, given that we just saw Pluto up close and personal. Um, if I gave you $5, would you take my poll? We take a look at a Pew report on cell phone survey reimbursement and how that affects who takes surveys. We'll also look at polling about the Grateful Dead, horoscopes, and of course, Magic Mike XXL. Yes, that's about all. I, that's about the speed I can handle with a <laughs> three-week-old summer. <laughs> Donald Trump and Canning Tatum. Is who we're that, today. That's it. That's all counts as heavy reading, as far as I'm concerned. So we have a Trump bump. Trump is no lump, and he's got plans. You know, plans to dump Trump are, are not happening. You have a lot of people. You know, the press is kind of in a tizzy about this because, you know, for a while they were nervous about co- covering him. We talked about this before i've heard it on other political podcasts like okay well you know if he's never gonna win are we just covering him for clickbait kind of like in the post 2008 world it's a little bit different where every time sarah palin tweeted something there was a story about it and you know is it a story or is it clickbait but now that trump is in the polls number one in like every poll practically then it you know there's no conflict anymore now you know it's fair game he is now officially in the top tier so that means you know everyone is free to talk about him as much as as much as they want and every poll we've seen basically the headline is about Trump i haven't seen any other real 2016 polling news in the last couple of weeks um other than what's been going on with Trump i mean what do you think Kristen So this whole Trump situation is driving me a little bit nuts. I think I tweeted yesterday that I was going to unleash a a furious rant on the show. I'm going to tone it down a little bit. But I I guess my my take at this point, and we have talked a little bit about Trump on this show before, and I have consistently said, no, it's all just name ID. It's not a big deal. It's going to go away. And I feel like it's become this self-fulfilling prophecy, or there's this like feedback loop going on. Like people... Trump announced and he didn't immediately jump in the polls. It wasn't until he started, you know, really saying crazy stuff and getting all this media attention that now it's like he gets 10 percent in the polls. So then he gets 90 percent of the news coverage, which then bumps him to 15 percent in the polls. So then he gets 95 percent of the news coverage. And it's like, oh, poor Bobby Jindal. You know, Bobby Jindal just can't catch a break. Like the incentives are so wrong in this race right now. That you can be someone that nobody thinks is serious and you're the one that gets all of the oxygen. Now, if you're someone like Jeb Bush, that's kind of fine because there, there's a 0% chance that Donald Trump is like eating into your share of the vote. But there's this the discussion now is that like Donald Trump is the heart and soul of the Republican Party and he's only right. getting 15% of the vote. Like he's Bernie Sanders, as we've talked about feeling the burn, Bernie Sanders is getting like twice as much support in the Democratic Party as Donald Trump is getting in the Republican Party. But poor Bernie's not getting nearly the amount of like press coverage and, oh, God, what does this mean about the Democratic Party? And or maybe maybe I'm I'm being a little unfair there, but I just he's getting more coverage than a lot of the, you know, legitimate, credible Republican candidates running for president. Right. And at this point, he's sort of like people forget that last time around, I think Michelle Bachman was on top of the polls right now. Herman Cain. I think Trump is the closest to the Herman Cain phenomenon because Herman Cain would like his 999 and, you know, people thought, well, I want something fresh and different and I don't like any of these politicians. 
But eventually, the the Herman Cain thing cannot sustain itself, right? It eventually fades away. Right. And so I guess I'm sort of of the mind that either, A, my prediction is right, and this whole Trump thing will flame out in a blaze of glory, and he will go away, and we will get back to normalcy after the first couple of debates, or Donald Trump actually wins the Republican primary, in which case I can just stop caring. Yeah. <laughs> and I can just like give up on 2016 and focus on other things. <laughs> Lots of really exciting congressional and Senate races. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, and the, the thing that's also nuts is if you take a look, so from the polling perspective, now I will get off of my rant about Trump himself and talk about the way I think the media is incredibly over-interpreting a lot of these poll results. So Take, for instance, this YouGov poll, the the one that shows Don, the one that popped, I think, over the last weekend that showed Donald Trump with like 15 percent saying he's the first choice and 12 percent saying he's the second choice. So if you actually look at the crosstabs, this is a survey of a thousand that then Republicans make up like a small subsample. Right. And they somehow, by the way, get to Republican registered voters as being like 300 So you've got to assume even out of that, Republican primary voters is a smaller sliver. Like we are talking about such small end sizes that the difference, again, the difference between like 11 percent and 15 percent is a couple people. It's not that serious. And yet all of a sudden it drives these headlines as if Donald Trump's got like 60 percent of the vote when really the difference between Donald Trump and sixth place Mike Huckabee is you know, a handful of people like it's it's meaningful, but the it's actually perhaps not even statistically meaningful, but it drives headlines and people go nuts over it. Well, it it would be less meaningful if we didn't see it in every single public poll. So you see it in YouGov. You see it in the Washington Post ABC poll that came out this morning. Um, You see it. I think there was a Monmouth uh, study, uh, Suffolk at USA Today. I mean, there's been like four or five different polls that have all shown Trump one or two. And, you know, the other thing that's been uh, two other things that's been pretty interesting one is his favorability has improved i mean that's the other you know thing that's that's been holding people back about covering trump or or worrying like well he's unpopular so nobody so unpopular can ever win anything but his popularity has been improving with republicans in particular um not with latinos obviously not obviously but given his you know various um comments recently and then the thing that I, i think is particularly interesting which you know to your point is People are voting for Trump. They don't think he's going to win and they don't think he's serious. I mean, that's the thing that's pretty odd. I mean, if you look at these polls, you'll see Trump at number one, but number five in terms of uh, who people think will actually win the nomination. You have just as many or just as few people thinking that he's a serious candidate now as felt the same way in 99. That's according to Gallup. The first was in the YouGov survey. So you have quite a few places where you see, you know, voters or respondents rather maybe getting excited about saying, yeah, hey, what the heck? I'm for Trump in, in a poll. But that doesn't mean they really ultimately think he's going to win. And I think that's a little bit different than folks who are voting for Bernie Sanders or voting for Mike Huckabee and say, okay, you know, maybe this person is not going to win the primary, but I'm I'm supporting them. It may be a little bit different. If you don't think the candidate's serious, I think that's that's, you know, really saying something. Yeah. But even to your point about Trump being one or two in all of these polls, so that's definitely correct. But the the issue is that in order to be the difference between being one and being number five is 
yeah, not actually that big a difference. And so, right. and and then again, like the Suffolk poll again, it was like a thousand adults, and then somehow out of a thousand adults, they get three hundred and forty nine likely Republican primary caucus voters, which <laughs> it is definitely not the case that a third of all American <laughs> adults. We should just give up now on our side if that's the case. (laughs) Um, You know, like, so, so I just, I see that stuff and maybe I'm just looking for reasons to discredit these polls because I'm like, there's just no way. I I think there's a, there is a way that 15 to 20% of the Republican party hears what Donald Trump says and goes, you know what? I like that. And so he's pulling oxygen away from the Ted Cruz's of the world. But it doesn't mean that he's going to be the nominee and it right. doesn't mean that he's the heart and soul of the Republican Party. Right. Or he's simply memorable. You know, folks who are casual viewers are not hearing the latest that Lindsey Graham is saying. And, you know, so they're like, oh, well, this guy yeah, at least is saying something yeah, that I, I, I remember. You know, the other well, thing. He's a showman. Yeah. He's, he's an entertainer in a way that none of these other nobody on either side of the aisle really is. Yeah. This time around. Right. Because, I mean, he's unencumbered by the sort of standards of what makes for political communication. Right. Like, you know, don't uh, don't get into Twitter fights with with everybody. Right. And so it's interesting that, you know, the Post did this word cloud of of Trump's. Twitter conversations, and it's just pretty incredible. I mean, if you look at it compared to, you know, any word cloud by anyone ever running for office in America, basically, it looks, you know, so drastically different. Like big words include soldiers, Macy's, customers, Nazi, you know, retaliate. I mean, it's like (laughs) FBI. I mean, none of these things. It, it doesn't really make you know, but isn't it? <laughs> like, I don't even know if this would pass like the iTunes clean rating, you know, this this word cloud. And it, it's it's pretty it's pretty wacky. I mean, these are, you know, I mean, I guess I guess it's all kind of like a different version of those movies. You know, every every few years we have a movie where a comedian plays like a presidential candidate who just sort of you know, says whatever crazy things on his mind and becomes, you know, an overnight sensation. And Trump is kind of in that mold. You know, I forget the names of all those movies, but I'm sure people know what I'm talking about. And, um, and, you know, Trump's in that mold, but ultimately that's not what people want. You know, that's not what swing general election voters want. And so I just don't think Trump is going to clean up his language in any real way to, to reach out to those folks. I don't think he's got a team of strategists saying, okay, this was a great rollout. Like next we're going to pivot to our policy. <laughs> position on whatever income inequality. I mean, I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm not even confident that there is a plan. I I will agree with you, though, that the whole his improving Trump having net favorables among Republicans is new. That's not always been the case. We've we've talked about polls on this show before where at best it was even. But his you know, his unfavorables were pretty high. And so seeing that change has me a little concerned. Um, but again, I don't know to what extent that's sticking versus he's just the last name that people heard on the media. And, you know, anytime when the media attacks you, there's a lot of Republicans that immediately will side with you. You get to become a martyr. A yeah. Little bit. And I, I, I suspect there's some of that going on too. Yeah. But that's a little bit different than Marco Rubio, you know, being the subject of a couple articles in the New York times and, you know, Trump trolling the press and the press trolling Trump, you know, <laughs> on Twitter, which just seems like a completely different ball of wax, you know, and uh, it, it, it's just 
I, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's it's something that we all kind of uh, don't want to participate in, but then have no choice. It's just some we're like being mugged somehow you know, by, <laughs> by this. Um, but yeah, it's a it, it's a pretty it's a pretty wacky story. So we'll see how you know we'll see how it unravels. I mean, one thing I did see in Gallup, I think it was Gallup that there was only one time that Trump's been net favorable and it was when he was not really part of politics and he was, but the apprentice was, you know, clicking along nicely. So, you know, kind of like what your point that you've been making about Hillary Clinton all this time when she's not a candidate, she's more popular when she is a candidate. You could, there's almost a little bit of that same thing when Trump's the host of the apprentice. I can't believe I'm making this connection. Then he's this more, he's more popular than when he's a, you know, a trolling political presidential candidate. Well, I'm excited to see if there is any further shift in the polls in coming weeks. Um, But particularly, we've got the big Republican debate that's coming up on August 6th. And I have long maintained that any polls that come out before then, I just try not to let myself care about too much. So we will see if I am right. And if after the first debate, we see some kind of shake up in the polls where there's a new normal and a new top tier. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if they've decided how many debates are going to be, but presumably there's going to be quite a handful. So, you know, I know there's a lot of focus on this first debate, but there's going to be plenty of time for everybody to kind of rearrange and, you know, get their jabs in and all that stuff. Yeah. Get on stage, et cetera. So we're moving from the completely unscientific Donald Trump to you know some more some more scientific study by Pew Scientific Study of Science. They looked at uh, a variety of different scientific issues because science is not just one big bucket, but a variety of different topics. And what are the demographic variables that predict how people shake out on all these different scientific uh, views? It's pretty interesting, actually. So you could see that things like climate change, not surprisingly, break out very strongly along party lines or ideology lines. Um, Things like are more biomedical or uh, based on evolution or those kinds of issues are a little bit more likely to be to break out along religiosity lines. But then you have things like food safety um, that are more likely to break out along gender education lines or vaccines, potentially um, animal research and so on. So it, it's pretty. And then you have things like space, which don't really have a demographic breakout, right? That's just, you know, there aren't as many demographic differences there. So I think it's pretty interesting. They have a nice looking table at their website, uh, Pew's website, where they can, where you can take a look at all the individual issues. I think it's pretty interesting because there's, you know, there's always this, we always shorten science as like, as if it's just one thing, science, you know, Republicans think X about science, Democrats think Y about science, but it's really obviously not so simple. Exactly. The, I mean, the party issue seems to play most into the discussion around climate change and energy and to a somewhat less, to a lesser extent around um, government funding for research. But then age, which is a huge variable in terms of all of these energy and climate change issues, is a non-factor when it comes to government funding for research. Like whether you're young or old does not really affect your view on, um, you know, whether it should be the government or private sector funding uh, funding research. Um, and then you wind up with interesting things like we, we've talked about the issue of childhood vaccines on this show before, where you have this big age divide on that as well. And it doesn't, this chart doesn't say in what direction. No, the, it doesn't. So, so it could be 
based on other things I've seen, I think it's that younger people are the ones who are more likely to say, no, childhood vaccines shouldn't be required. Right, right. Because um, they're less likely to remember, you know, the olden days when people got some of these diseases. Right. Um, so, you know, that's, it tells you that, that there's a correlation between a de- demographic variable and a result, but you kind of have to dig deeper in past the chart to figure out which way is the correlation pointing. Um, and then, you know, genetically modified foods, though, young people, no difference there, but your education level um, plays a factor, plays a big role. If you have a lot of education or science knowledge, that affects how you view GMOs. Um, so anyhow, I, I thought this was very interesting because we often lump science issues into one big bucket. And there's this huge diversity of what factors um, play play a role. Right. But then if you look at things like, you know, genetically modifying your baby <laughs> to make a, you're a smarter baby, that, play, you know, that divides a little bit more like a, just a somewhat along religious or uh, race eth- and ethnic lines, but not along party or age lines. So, you know, some pretty some pretty interesting things. So definitely take a look because science is obviously more complicated um, than than. I think sometimes the political dialogue would have us yep. uh, would have us believe. And I am just very glad that space looks like an issue that is, does not divide us. That there's pretty much no major fault line when it comes to things like do we need astronauts or has the space station been a good investment? Right. Um, especially with uh, this week's discovery of Pluto, uh, the, getting the the close up photos of Pluto for the first time. I feel like. Those of us who are big science nerds are having quite the week. And so <laughs> it's good to hear that there's not some like massive party, you know, party driven opposition to doing more cool space stuff. Yeah. Although that doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to be a compelling candidate, a compelling message for a candidate, but just means that, you know, there's, aren't, there right, isn't some demographic group that's like vehemently opposed to it. <laughs> yeah, Not yet, but could be <laughs> something to look so, forward to. So another, an interesting topic that we've covered on this show before um, is the question of cell phones and survey research. And we know a lot of you are researchers rather than political junkies. So thank you for bearing with us through our, you know, 15 minutes of Donald Trump. Um, this segment is for you. <laughs> so we've, we've talked a lot about the challenges of reaching respondents on their phones. You can't auto dial them. You need to hand dial the numbers. This drives up the costs. Um But the other thing that can drive up costs is reimbursing respondents for their cell phone time. So this was one sort of standard operating procedure back in the day when everybody's cell phone plans was about minutes. And so if you were taking someone's minutes, it was an expectation you'd reimburse them. Um, That's not really the case anymore. Most people have unlimited minute plans. Um, I have discovered that I do not have unlimited minutes, that the old plan I signed back in the ancient era that gave me unlimited data, but not unlimited minutes. Um, a great deal. And now I don't want to change it because I have unlimited data, but I get these like text messages from AT&T like, you've almost used your 400 minutes for the month. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> oh, what have I done? Um, at any rate, so cell phones are less likely to be this like emergency only thing. They're now a lot of people's primary phone. Um, so Pew still offers $5 to cell phone respondents. And they released a study that compares those who took the money to those who said no thanks, um, and those who were not offered a reimbursement at all, I, so, I haven't offered a reimbursement in years. I mean, since we just started to begin to do cell phone interviewing, I haven't done it in a very long time, and I f- find this survey kind of reassuring in that regard. 
Yeah, I, I am the same way. I have not done cell phone reimbursements to respondents. When I do online work, I think the panels that I use, um, they'll like get, you know, the panelists have some kind of incentive to participate, but have never done it with the telephone. So this is, I, I'm with you. This is sort of setting my mind at ease. Um, so there's no real difference in the response rates between those who take the reimbursement and those who don't. Um, but there is slightly more, uh, is it slightly more Republican in the they accepted? No, it's slightly the differences between those who are offered money and accept versus those who are offered money and don't accept. Yeah. Big differences along race lines, big differences along education and income lines. If you are lower income, you're more likely to take the five dollars. Um, if you take the money, half of those who take the money are um, Democrats. Um, they are much more likely to be on a prepaid phone. Um, much more likely to be African-American and much less likely to be old, um, much less likely to be senior citizens. So there are some big demographic factors between those who take the five bucks and, and those who don't. Marju, what was your reaction to this? Yeah, I mean, that's not a surprise. I think what I think, I mean, there's a couple things that I think was surprising from taking a look at this. I mean, one, you know, it's just a fifth that take the money. So that's not over, I mean, that's not nothing, but it's not overwhelming, right? Um, also, there's no difference in response rate. So while there's a difference in people who take the money versus who don't take the money, ultimately the response rate, so the people who agree to do the survey, it doesn't really matter whether you're offered a reimbursement or not. So that I, is the reason behind doing the reimbursement. So that's, you know, it, it, there's a case to be made here that you don't need to offer $5 in order to have response rates not be affected. However, given the fact that there's some party differences in who takes them and who doesn't, Pew's going to keep doing the reimbursement. Um, so, you know, so I, you could really go either way. But I think, you know, in terms of the response rate, which is what everybody who does te telephone research in general is pretty worried about, I think you're on safe ground to not do the reimbursement. Um, the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting is the percent of people who say, hey, can I get a reimbursement if they're not offered a reimbursement? And that's only 2%. So very few people say, well, if you're going to take my time, you know, shouldn't you give me some reimbursement? That's basically negligible. So it's not really like a top of mind you know, you're just basically, you know, this experiment just measures the percentage of people say, yes, I would like $5. It doesn't really like, it doesn't seem to be an impediment to taking a survey or anything like that. It's just sort of willingness to accept $5. Mm -hmm. Well, and the um, Americans' relationship with their smartphones is nowadays pretty intense. Uh, Pew also, or pardon me, Gallup did a study about how um, people take, how people deal with their phones. Um, they asked the question, can you imagine your life without your smartphone? And among smartphone users, this was a, a Gallup panel survey done over the web and via the mail. Um, they found that 46% of people cannot imagine their life without their cell phone. And that this is primarily driven by like younger women. Yeah, that obviously. Gender and age are big factors here where women are more likely to say they can't imagine their life without their phone. And younger people are more likely to say they can't imagine their life without their phone. And so 58% of women 18 to 29 cannot imagine life without their phone. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense to me. It makes tons of sense to me. I don't think I'm really considered younger anymore, but it's not, in this respect, I guess I am. Well, even, I mean, the women, women who all the, all the way up to 49 years old, um, that 30 to 49 year old group, 
um, that we, that, you know, that's 54% say they can't imagine their life without their smartphone, which is not so different from that very young group of women. So, and, and it's overwhelmingly much more than any age group of men. So. Right. Well, that's not a surprise given sort of how good or uneven men are calling back or getting texts or <laughs> getting your email. Um, now there's some data behind that. But, you know, it also makes sense that, you you know, it goes it goes well with the Pew data about how people are sort of less upset about being called on their cell phone because their cell phones are such a big part of what they do. It's not just this thing they have in case, you know, they're, they get a flat tire. I mean, the thing that was pretty funny about the Gallup data is um, uh, they asked, how often do you check your smartphone and how much you think that compares to other people? And you have only 11% who check it every few minutes, which for me seemed kind of low. Um and it, they also asked, you know, most people said that they do check it within, either within a few minutes or a, a few times an hour, once an hour. Um, and uh, compared to, you know, what people think their usages compared to others, people think they check it a lot less often than other people do, which is kind of funny because, you know, most people are checking it every hour, every few minutes, but think that they do that less than other people. So how often do they think other people are checking their phone? It's, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. A little finding. I, I, although if you do add up, the, you know, a majority of people with smartphones check their phone over once an hour. Like that's crazy that that you have 52% in that those first two buckets every few minutes or a few times an hour. And I'd love to see, I don't know if that Gallup has the gender breaks on that. I'll have to go fishing around their site. But I would love to know too, if men versus women, if women are the ones that are more likely to like have the phone in their hands. I'm sure. At all times. I'm sure. Right. The, and they the, also had, right, I think the, like a majority sleep with their phone or have their phone right next to them when they sleep too. I think they found. Oh, I do that. I'm really concerned about the day that some medical study comes out and says like, oh, by the way. If you've been sleeping with your phone within five feet of your head for your whole life, you're basically in trouble. <laughs> like that's that study is going to come out one day, and like I'm just that's going to be bad news for me. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Ditto. I mean, I think uh, my there are people already talking about that, but I don't know if they're sort of on the fringe of you know the fringe of science. But I think it's the Wi-Fi more than it's the cell phone itself. But you know, I don't know. That's a conspiracy theory that yeah. I'm trying not to research into <laughs> too carefully. Well, when I when I think about this question of I can't imagine my life without my smartphone, I actually do try to imagine my life without my smartphone every so often, um, just because. I, I am so horribly addicted to Twitter and it just makes me unhappy. Like reading Twitter at night before I go to bed just riles me up and like makes me unable to sleep well because I'm having like sleepy outrage about whatever the story of the moment is. And like that just can't be healthy. So I need to imagine my life without my smartphone. Yeah. I think just as a a matter of personal health and sanity. I think my husband imagines his life without my smartphone <laughs> and thinks it seems much better. <laughs> um, so in other news, Grateful Dead um, had its fare thee well, its final tour, its final few shows in Chicago uh, about a week or two ago. And the Melman Group, my polling alma mater and public opinion strategies, not the firms that I would necessarily think of like 
the Grateful Dead firms. If there were Grateful Dead firms, I'm not sure. You know, I, I think that's I think that's okay to say. I don't think I need to edit that out. But they, they the release was really funny. They they said it was sponsored by somebody who had a personal interest or like personal curiosity in figuring out what the hard ID was of the dead across a variety of demographic groups. So this wasn't done for any outlet or wasn't done for the dead, obviously. And um. Lo and behold, Republican band has a higher hard ID with Republicans than with Democrats. <laughs> and, you know, it just goes to show that, occasion, you know, sometimes the data can be surprising. And, you know, John Kasich, if I'm not mistaken, was a deadhead back in the day. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe he maybe as he becomes more part of, you know, he becomes a full fledged candidate, he'll, you know, be able to tap into the Republican Grateful Dead demographic. This finding made me laugh so hard when I saw it. And this is I, what this raises to me is like the, the question of, you know, you can't completely disentangle different variables. So I would bet that the average age of Republican that they called is older than the average age of the Democrats or the independents. And so I wonder like what the age breakdown. So they, they've got the, let me pull up the cross tabs. I mean, it's, the I've got to imagine there's it says it's best known by baby boomers, right? Yeah. So that to me, while those eighteen to thirty four, they've got a twenty one to five fave unfave. Everything I know about the Grateful Dead is that there's a chair. I think there's a Ben and Jerry's flavor about the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Cherry Garcia. Cherry Garcia. So I, I would be one of those people going like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm one of those un, ungrateful millennials who does not understand, you know. The, the greatness of, of the arts that came before me. Um, but I, so I, I wonder to what extent it's like they're Republicans now, but they remember they're like the good old days. That's what's driving the surprising partisan breakdown. I know. I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, it could just be, you know, people who are older and more upscale college educated. I mean, those were folks who traveled with the dead, at least like in their, their waning years. And those are the folks who have higher, uh, give the band a higher hard ID, or it could just be sort of this funny, you know, data point where, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, the dead kind of represented, um, you know, changing social fabric, changing cultural uh, standards and mores. And, you know, n n now that's, you know, now that seems sort of um, old fashioned, and, you know, in a way that now, like, you know, that doesn't seem very outre anymore. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a funny, people don't it's a go funny to Bonnaroo to like fight the man. People don't go to like music festivals now, you know, like to make a political statement. I don't think, um, I mean, I, the Taylor Swift concert that happened this past week in Washington, DC, you know, is that, is that my generation's like, we all flock to the big concerts and are like, that's our statement on society is that we love Taylor. So like it's, it's, it's a pretty far cry from like what you think of when you think of the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. I mean, I, I had some friends who went and I was actually talking about their show last night. So it's, uh, and they were not Republicans. <laughs> they were not, pretty sure. Um, but it's, you know, nonetheless, a pretty, it, it, I, it kind of warmed my heart and I don't know, you know, what the dead would think about these results. I mean, I'm assuming somebody showed them this press release, but who knows, maybe not, maybe they were just like, you're kidding me. Right. So somebody walking into their dressing room, like, Hey, did you see this poll that came out of your heart ID? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I look forward to being in my fifties or 
60s and going to Dave Matthews band concerts and my kids being like, mom, what are you doing? Me being like, no, man, when I was young, we would go to Dave Matthews band concert. Leave me alone. <laughs> so, right. I mean, I'm not, I am not asserting that Dave Matthews band is the Grateful Dead of the millennial generation, but I am like, I'm just trying to think about like, what are the bands that will stick with me that I will want to see on tour for decades to come? Because it's know. just an experience. We'll have to find out. You'll have to tune in to the pollsters 20 years from now to f- f- find out the answer to that. And and we you can sponsor the poll, but <laughs> we'll see if said band is still popular. <laughs> Kristen Solta Sanderson, out of personal curiosity, wanted to see what the hard ID was of <laughs> Dave Matthews Band and Taylor Swift. Um, so turning, turning to other things that um, – have maybe some not so surprising demographic breakouts. Astrology. So, you know, hey, why not? So astrology in the future, YouGov has got, you know, supplying us with some fun results this week. And they asked, in fact, two questions about astrology. So overwhelmingly, people don't feel that uh, horoscopes can predict the future. Um, They showed 65% said no, 14% said yes. But there's a lot more division if you ask, well, can star signs tell you something about yourself or another person. So predict the future, maybe not, but tell you something about a person. Well, you know, then you have 30% say yes. And among women, it's actually evenly divided between 39% say yes, 40% no. Men overwhelmingly say no. (laughs) Can't tell you anything about yourself or other people. But I thought it was interesting that the future people said no, but about themselves or, you know, maybe. So this is, I feel like the whole like, oh, are you a, like, what's your sign? Like, I always hear that as a phrase, like that was like a pickup line decades past, right? Like nobody would ever, God, I hope not. Like nobody would ever say like, what's your sign today? But I feel like I've seen that in movies and TV shows as like the creepy pickup line du jour of like. 1977. Yeah. Am, am I like, am I hallucinating? No, no, I think that? you're right. I think you're right. I think that's definitely like a 70s, right, 70s pickup joint. How I, I mean, what, what do I know of 70s pickup joints? But that's, that definitely seems like a, a throwback, right? And, um, but these results suggest that, you know, maybe that would work. If a guy tried that on a woman, it perhaps <laughs> might work still, you know? Oh my God. I, please, men listening to the show, please do not take this as, poll tested pickup line. <laughs> now that would be a poll I would pay to see what would be the best pickup line. And I got to tell you what your si- what's your sign may beat out a lot of the things that are actually being used out there. So <laughs> that's, that's my that hypothesis. Absolutely correct. <laughs> I, the last time I remember caring about star signs was when I was a teenager and in, in my teen magazine, they would always have the horoscopes at the back. And I remember discovering that because I was a Pisces and Leonardo DiCaprio was a Scorpio, which meant we were both water signs, which meant we were compatible. And so I was like, one day I am going to meet Jack from Titanic and our star signs have aligned. And so that occupied my brain for a hot second in like 1998. (laughs) And then it was done. But that's the, like, that's the only thing I know about my star sign is that I am a Pisces, which means I'm destined for Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, that's not bad. So speaking of Sorry, Hollywood, speaking of <laughs> – and hot second, here's something on which men and women agree, which is Hollywood 
is sexist. And it's pretty incredible that they went so far as to say sexist. Do you think that the American movie industry is or is not sexist? Again, thanks to the, you know, the very studious folks at YouGov, um, over, you know, a majority say, yes, it's sexist. And it's about the same among men and women, 47% of men, 53% of women. I mean, there are some differences, but that's pretty, that's more similar than I would have expected. Um, and, you know, oh, isn't it interesting that women are less likely or yeah, that, that there's, there's this higher, like not sure among women, which I guess uh, there, the, the, even there, you've got a lot of women who probably like they're, they're suspecting that there's sexism going on, but don't like know, to use not. the phrase only, sexist. Yeah. Yeah. Like only 17% flat out say, no, it's not sexist. Right. Um, More men say got, it's like, not sexist. Of, right. 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 But it's um, but, still, I mean, think of how sexist an industry needs to actually be for half of men to be like, yeah, that's, that's actually sexist. <laughs> that's, you know, that's pretty, cause I mean, it's not something that you hear a lot of men talk about. It's not a question that's phrased very often. You know, it's pretty, um, I mean, I, I found those results pretty interesting. So I think what this means, obviously what this means is that we need more movies like Magic Mike XXL. <laughs> so Kristen, Amen. Kristen, Amen. what, what, what are the numbers on Magic Mike XXL? We talked about Fast and Furious Magic Mike a while XXL. ago. Equal opportunity objectification. Yeah. So, um, as we, we often talk about when, uh, you know, classy uh, established journalistic outlets decide to take on the fine art of digging up the data on um, our favorite films, Time Magazine compared Magic Mike to Magic Mike XXL and put together this great little infographic for us. Apparently in Magic Mike XXL, you see abs only 28 times compared to 49 times in the original Magic Mike. Um, you see the same number of suits, one in, in either movie. Um, you hear Genuine's pony once in either movie. Um, fewer tank tops, which I think is a good thing. And there's actually no female nudity in Magic Mike X. So what are they doing with all this time? I haven't seen it. Are they like reading stuff? Are they, (laughs) what are they doing in all this time that is not being spent on abs or anything else? Apparently it's more... It's more dancing and it's a little less campy. I I have heard. I have actually not seen it yet. I have sort of attempted half-heartedly to assemble a crew of girlfriends to go see it because why not? And I, I'm worrying I may have missed the boat at this point to actually like nail down plans. Because you this is the sort of thing I feel like you've got to see in a full theater of people like being goofy, right? Um, but yeah, I guess this is a less... Because in the first movie, they're working in a an exotic dancing establishment. I'm keeping this clean for our iTunes rating. I don't know if you can, how detailed I can get. Um, you know, they're like working in a club, whereas in the second movie, they're basically on a road trip. Right. Right. Going to a conference. <laughs> so it's not like an oh, office God. procedural anymore. <laughs> no. no, right. This is not a workplace drama. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it seems to me that the occurrences of these things um, are are lower, but perhaps the length of each occurrence is longer. Maybe there are fewer individual instances of seeing abs, but maybe the instances that occur are longer. We don't know. This is why 
it's important to think about all of the variables when you're analyzing data. Yes, this is, I think we need to do some further study and some primary research. (laughs) Correct. Correct. So, okay. So that wraps it up. And so our uh, key findings uh, from what we've uh, learned today, the verdict is in Trump is number one, even though no one seems to want him there for some reason. Uh, Views towards science need more science to explain. You can keep sending respondents $5 reimbursements or not. It's up to you. Uh, Kasich is a former deadhead. Maybe he's on to a trend the rest of us don't know about. And ladies love astrology, their smartphones, and magic mic. <laughs> so, Kristen, <laughs> where can people find us? People can find us on Facebook. Um, we have our Facebook page for the pollsters. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Soltis Anderson. Margie's at Margie O'Mero. You can also find the both of us at, at the pollsters where we're posting links to the show as well as links to stories we find interesting throughout the week. And you can get our show on your favorite podcatcher. Great. And see you next week. Thanks.